Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, September 28th, 2017. Do the words empty deceit mean anything to you? Just just wondering, you know. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Yeah, it's kind of an important thing. In fact, what we do here is we compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, <gasps> self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed, uh-huh, they're self-appointed, apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the wider uh, evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, doctrine that's being put forward out there, far from biblical, far from what the church has historically believed, taught, or confessed, uh, there's just a whole lot of, well, empty deceit. Yeah, <laughs> this is just... A whole ton of it, big slew of it, just, you know, empty, it, 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 you know, you talk about empty calories, you know, I'm always ever on the quest to try to figure out how to become half the man I used to be, and so, you know, I, I've been studying up on, you know, on, you know, processed foods and things like that, and, you know, looking at, you know, bringing in more fruits and vegetables into my diet, and, uh, you know, one of the big arguments against you know, so much processed foods and junk foods and stuff like that is that they are empty, em- just flat out empty calories. See, it's not that they don't have calories; they do. It's just the nutritional value of a Twinkie is, um, man, I gotta got, gotta love me some Twinkies. But yeah, the nutritional value. You know, it, it's not like somebody sitting there going, you know, hey, I just just got done, you know, uh, running a a ten k and. Ooh, yeah, I gotta, you gotta, gotta refuel the body. Let me go grab some Twinkies. Nobody does that. <laughs> I mean, there are people literally who go to the store and, you know, they're walking down the aisle and, you know, they've got their shopping cart full of stuff and they, and, and there's the box of Twinkies and, and they're going, Oh man, that's going to be so good. 
and and, and of course, if they've already got the Oreos in the in the card already, and uh, and so they, they kind of do that look behind them, look in front of them, see if anyone's looking. You know, of course, the security cameras catching all of this, and they they grab the box of Twinkies and quickly put it underneath the carrots and <laughs> tomatoes in their cart. And, uh, and, and then, you know, they make sure when they're getting in line, you know, that, you know, they kind of look right and look left, make sure that nobody from church is, you know, on, in, on the other aisle or in front of them and stuff like that. And then they quickly take the Twinkies out and put them, you know, again, you know, cover them up in carrots and things like that. See, the thing is, is that so much of today's preaching and teaching, especially in what has come to be known as the attractional church. Yeah, I have to use that parlance because I've been corrected recently. This isn't, it's, it's seeker driven is kind of like the, the old way of talking about it. Now they talk about attractional church. The, we, we've got nothing but literally empty, empty, empty calories. And it's not just in the attractional churches. It's like all over evangelicalism. So Empty deceit, empty calories, empty the the just flat out empty words have like no nutritional value for actually discipling you and helping you grow and mature in the Christian faith and a proper understanding of Christ and what He's done for you. Yeah, it's far from it. All right, so talking about empty deceit. Do you get the feeling like today's episode is just going to be chock full of empty calories? Yeah, we'll we'll see if we can figure out how to get some nutritional value into today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate trifecta. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I think you might want to be sitting down for some of these. We're going to begin with Miranda Nelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the uh, wife of Jeremy Nelson, and uh, they've been doing the fire and glory outpouring thingy out there in uh, San Diego, California. And uh, so we're going to begin with Miranda, Miranda Nelson, and uh, we might have to come back to her several times. It's just one of those types of segments where I may only be able to take it in small doses. Then we're going to also check in with Patricia King, recent message of hers titled Redigging the Wells, Redigging the Wells, um, and then in, and then also um, <laughs> we'll throw into this uh, Jeremy Nelson, the wife of Miranda, and also of the Fire and Glory outpouring out there in uh, San Diego, and uh, he was recently featured on the Elijah List, and uh, a video that he's posted on his social media, apparently from <laughs> some kind of um, class that he's teaching out there in San Diego. Um, the na- the headline on the Elijah list, by the way, reads, God wants to activate your spiritual sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hang on. Do you smell that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. that I do smell that. Yeah, that's, that's what we call bovine scatology. All right. So uh, we'll check in with... Uh, <laughs> Jeremy Nelson, as he tries to explain how we can smell the presence of God and things like that, and it's just crazy. And uh, and then to uh, round out the hour, we'll uh, do a TD Jakes update and uh, listen to TD Jakes's spin on the story of David and Goliath. Of course, he is a, a master communicator. I I have not literally in like all of my years on the planet, I have never seen anyone anyone 
with as much gifting as it comes to actual just public presence and delivery of you know good rhetorical skills and things like that and he's you know he he verges on being a thespian that you know like an actor but i mean his delivery I, nobody can touch him but the problem is what he's delivering are literally empty calories flat out empty deceit and uh, then in hour number 2 we're going to uh, check in uh, with the uh, South Bay Church and uh, Andy Wood as he teaches us uh, from the sermon series titled Win Within, mm-hmm. How to Speak Like a Pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, we'll, like I said, we'll, we're going to do our best to try to get some nutritional value into this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Not exactly sure at the moment how we're going to pull this off. Yeah, I, I'm looking at just the sheer <laughs> magnitude of the difficulty of getting some uh, biblical nutritional value into what already is looking like it has zero, and, and I mean like zero actual biblical nutritional uh, calories in it, <clears throat> you know, as far as the segments we'll be covering. But uh, with that, let's get into the program proper, and uh, since we're going to start off with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate trifecta yeah we're, we're gonna do a full-blown trifecta here let's start with this so i was having this wedding and and we had we well we didn't have we shabba mm, shabba shanda Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Heidi Baker of the New Apostolic Reformation and uh, her hit single, Shabba. All right, so we're going to start off. We're going to head over to the Fire and Glory Outpouring, and we're going to check in with Miranda Nelson. And uh, she has just been uh, introduced uh, for the evening's festivities out there in San Diego. Uh, let's get to it as she takes the stage and immediately gets zonked, bonked, and you know, well, you know, weirded out in the spirit and stuff like that. Here we go. Jesus. Oh, isn't, isn't he good? Woohoo! Oh, just let your hands to the Lord. God, we just love you. <laughs> Oh, Jesus, we just love you so much, God. We adore you, and God, we just... We- Do you, just a quick question. I mean, so she's saying that we that she loves God and she loves Jesus and stuff. Like, with human relationships, you know, I cannot remember the last time I said to my wife, Hey, honey, you know, <laughs> I love you. You know, and just I've never done that. Maybe I just don't love her. I, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe the way you really prove to Jesus that you really love him is by carrying on like this. I, I don't know. I mean, serious. Just thank you for your presence in this place, Holy Spirit. We just thank you for your presence in this place. 
God, we thank you for the rain of heaven. God, we thank you, Lord, for the raindrops, Lord, the dewy drops of glory, God, raining on every face. (laughs) (laughs) The dewy drops of glory. (laughs) Sorry. My apologies. God, that you would just saturate. If you, you know, just think about when you were in high school and, you, you know, you went out with friends and stuff like that. And if you came home behaving like this, what would your parents have thought? Mm-hmm. You know, just, you know, just asking. <laughs> that you would just saturate every person in this place. And Lord, those online, God, that you would just saturate them, Lord, in your glory, God. That you would just wash them, Lord. Lord, wash them, Lord, the renewing of their minds, Lord, God, by the regeneration of the word, Lord, that you would just release your glory, God. We just, we just thank you for your presence in this place. We just say, have your way, God, be glorified, be magnified, Lord. We thank you, God, even for this new, new uh, Hebrew calendar season, this glory new season, Father, this glorious new season, God, we just say, have your way, Lord. We just, we just welcome you, God, into, uh, Lord, into this season, Father, into what you're doing in this season, God. It's all about you. It's all for you, Lord. I thank you for what you're about to do, Father. Lord, how you're going to, how you're going to move on the earth, Lord, with glory, with signs and wonders, with love and with healing and with restoration, Father. And so we just say, have your way, Lord. And tonight, God, have your way, release your word, release whatever you want to release, Lord. We just give you permission, God. We're here for you, Lord. So we just say, have your way. And you give permission to God to release stuff. <laughs> I did not know that uh, we needed to actually sign a release waiver form for God to do things. Did not know that. Jesus name. Amen. Come on. He's good. Isn't he good? Come on. Well, I've been. Um... What do you mean by that? By the way, he's good. You know. I'm not sure in this context what you mean by God is good. Well, actually, first of all, I just love what Michael was saying about um, the the dance. Because just before he got up and started saying about, like, the dance with the Lord, that's what I was seeing. I was like, oh, man, I just feel like this, like, dance of romance with with Jesus. And Okay, that's creeping me out. Um, listen, um, we can talk about the fact that in the Greek language, there are four different words for love, which I find actually quite helpful. Uh, in English, um, we got one, and it has to kind of like serve double duty, you know. So you can say to that person that you have that wibbly-wobbly feeling inside of your innards for, and you say to that person, I love you. Right. Yeah. And so love, you know, we kind of get what that means in that particular context. Then you can say, you know, you head to Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that. And, you know, you have their spicy, you know, chicken wing thing while watching sports, you know. And, you know, and so you, you take a bite of one of those spicy chicken wing thingies and you go, oh, I love these spicy chicken wings. And see, in that particular sense, you can say, well, the word love in the first way that we talked about it 
isn't exactly the same as what we're talking about in the second example. You see what I'm saying here? And and then, of course, you know, you have a married couple and they're out on a date and, you know, they're sitting over candlelight, you know, and enjoying a meal together. And the fellow says to his wife, I love you. <laughs> you know, and she says, I love you, too. And next thing you know, check, please, check, pl-, you know, and uh, you, you get the idea. And so in that particular sense, that's a different use of the word love altogether. Now, that being said, in Scripture, the love that human beings have towards God and the love that we're to have towards each other is agape. It's this unconditional love. But it's not at all the same as the Greek word, and wait for it, eros. Mm-hmm. Erotic love. Now, when we talk about romance, mm-hmm, we are talking, we're now into the realm, not of agape, like not at all. We're now into the realm of eros. And listen, as a dude, this concept of like erotic love with Jesus, yeah, it's just not, it. no, I'm uh-uh. weirded out by it, completely creeped out by it. I mean, that makes Jesus into somebody who's not heterosexual. And um, yeah, no. Sorry, but Jesus is not my bearded girlfriend. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't work that way. And Scripture doesn't teach us to view Jesus that way, to which I would say, thank God, right? So here she is talking about Jesus in a romantic love type of way, which is not what Scripture teaches, which, by the way, is rampant in mysticism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you uh, just spend some time reading some of the f- famous mystics of uh, church history. And, uh, you know, there's one particular Roman Catholic nun who uh, claimed that she had, you know, uh, that type of love, mystical, romantic love relationship with Jesus, and that Jesus had given her a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. It just so happened to also be, according to her, <clears throat> Jesus's foreskin, uh, which he <clears throat> apparently somebody kept after he was circumcised. But uh, yeah, you see, it gets really weird when you start going down that trail. So um, we got a problem here. It's, uh, Houston, Houston, I'm getting really uncomfortable. And I was seeing it, and then he started. I was actually get, thinking, I'm like, should I get up and release it? But then Michael released it, so that's awesome. That's what God's doing, amen. I just the sweet presence. Wow, <laughs> and that song was perfect. That's so cool how the Lord was putting that on your heart, Heather. This this week, wow, thank you, Lord. But uh, yeah, we're just gonna have a good night because I just, I just, this is there's just a sweetness in this place tonight. Um, but, you know, all week I've been praying specifically into Rosh Hashanah. And um, how many of you guys know that Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur? You've been pr- praying into Rosh Hashanah. I, yeah, I have no idea that what that means. In fact, you know, let, I can only take her in small doses. Uh, let's <clears throat> check in with Patricia King and uh, her uh, short message titled... Um, redigging the wells. Let's see if we can make any sense of this. Here we go. Hi there. Today I want to share with you a message on redigging wells. And- right. 
You know, I live in a place where we have, you know, the, you know, there's like a city and the city has water and, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I pay the city of Grand Forks and they send water right to my home. It's, it's great. I mean, it comes out of our sinks. Uh, we were able to take, you know, showers and baths and uh, wash our dishes and use our toilets and stuff. Um, so I've never actually dug a well. Nope. I no, I can't. No, not, not even once. I've never once dug a well, which means that I, there's no way I can redig a well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Apparent. So this, uh, this, whatever this message is, clearly it doesn't reply, uh, apply to me because I've never dug a well, so I can't go back and redig one. You see what I'm saying? Comes out of Genesis chapter 26, where Isaac redug the wells of his father Abraham. And he had gone into the land after his uh, father had, had passed on. He went into the land. The Philistines had actually covered up all the wells. So even though that they had one day been flourishing with water and, and were just, you know, full of the blessing of the Lord, the Philistines came and filled them all in so that there was no access to that water anymore. And oftentimes we refer to past revivals as wells. Wells of living water that were poured out at that time by the Spirit. But after that season passed, sometimes the enemy will come in and... Now, notice you're not actually learning anything uh, about Isaac and the wells and what Genesis actually teaches. No, she just kind of mentions it in passing and because it mentions wells you know isaac redug wells so we we need to talk about uh revivals yeah these are empty calories here in the well so that you can't even you know you can't even find that move of god anymore right and god says it's time to redig those wells and in Genesis 26, verse 8. So God is saying it's time to redig the wells, really. Okay. And it says, Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. Right. This is a historical narrative. Now, by the way, uh, as we read Scripture, we, we will note that there are large sections of Scripture that are historical narrative. Uh, Genesis is one of those uh, portions of scriptural uh, historical narrative. The Gospels, historical narrative. Book of Acts, historical narrative. First uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, historical narrative. Um, and, and and so the idea here is we have to be careful when we're reading historical narratives because oftentimes these are descriptive texts. Mm-hmm. And they are not prescriptive texts. So, for instance, you know, you, you read in Genesis 26 about Isaac digging wells, and you ask yourself, what is the application? Well, it's not prescribing <laughs> for you to dig any wells. There's something else going on here. So let's take a look at it. Genesis 26. I'll start at verse 17. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and and, uh, found there a well spring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac. And Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. 
So he called the name of the well Esek, which means contention. So he renames that particular one contention because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. Sitna means enmity. And you're going to note here, what's going on? Well, Abraham was a sojourner in the land of Canaan. Abraham is dead. Isaac is sojourning also in this part of the world. And they're quarreling with him and cutting him off from his water supply. If he does not have water, he will die. He and his family and his, you know, children and think they'll they'll all die. All right. So I mean this this is a dire situation going on here. And you notice here it doesn't have anything to do with uh, <laughs> um you know the current day or you know ancient revivals or anything. It has nothing to do with that, right? Uh so he named the second one Sitna and he moved from there and he dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rahaboth, which means a broad place, saying, For now Yahweh has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So, you know, he redug the wells. Two of them were ch- were challenged, and he did not have access to them. He finally rebuilt the—he redug this one and names it Rehoboth. And the reason why is because God has made room, and he literally thanks God for the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And so he gives credit to and glory to Yahweh. I mean, that's really what this text is is about. Um, You know, short little portion of the historical narrative here, but let's see what uh, Patricia King is going to do with this here. Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. Now, we know that, that Isaac had, had opened up the wells again. He named them again and reestablished those glory portals. I believe that... What? Reestablished glory portals? What? <laughs> I didn't see anything in there about a glory portal, lady. Some of you are called to reestablish glory portals of the past. In fact, there's some of you watching right now that you can identify people that you've studied out, like John G. Lake or Wigglesworth or or um, Jonathan Edwards, Amy Semple McPherson, Catherine Kuhlman, um, Mariah Wood. This, this, this list is like a who's who of uh, the heretics of the past hundred or so years. Editor, different revivalists of the past that you have studied their work and you think, wow, the glory was so strong then. What happened to it? Where is it now? And that you've had this stirring in your heart that you want to redig it, that you want to see it again. And God's saying, I'm giving you a shovel. I'm giving you a shovel that you can dig up that well. And it yeah, has nothing at all whatsoever to do with what Genesis 26 is saying. What on earth? Because you have passion for it, you are going to see the bubbling of that fresh water. You are going to see the coming forth of the blessing of the Lord through those wells in this day. But he said, not only that, it's not only going to be what was. He said, I'm going to add to it and I'm going to give new water. I'm going to show you where new wells are. In fact, with um, Isaac, as he opened up a well, the Philistines would come and there would be 
you know, contention over the wells and that, so he would go and re-dig re up another one and another one, till finally he came to a place where there was peace and the land was fruitful for him in that place. I feel that some of you have gone through some serious warfare where you have have been serving the Lord and opening up the wells of his spirit, the water of the spirit, and then the enemy would come and shut them down, and then you would go on and dig up another one, and it got shut down again. But the Lord says the third well, the third well is third going one. to be sustained. And you'll yeah, so that third one, you know, because, you know, Isaac, you know, the third well, you know, Rahaboth, yeah, yeah, God's going to make room for you for the glory portals thingy. <laughs> And the sad part is that how many tens of thousands of people listen to Patricia King and think that she's actually teaching them something that is true, that is what the Bible wants us to, you know, what God wants us to believe and what the Bible teaches. Yeah, the the only way I can describe this is, is just is just gobbledygook, and um, that's a real problem. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break, when we come back, we're going to check in with Jeremy Nelson, maybe a little bit more Miranda, but also T.D. Jake. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? Tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one. And I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I shall be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. 
Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package, sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could help you spot empty calories in preaching and teaching that is masquerading as healthy doctrine when it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Uh, when you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Master Gunner at 
29 uh, sorry gunner's made at 24.95 a month then master gunner at 49.95 a month and then quartermaster 99.95 a month went went on autopilot there <laughs> of course if you'd like to make a one time contribution you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, since we went to the break, let's kind of reset some things here. Uh, we, you know, we're going to continue with our prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Trifecta. Let's do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bowly ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowly ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bowly ball a penny a pitch. Roly bowly ball, roly bowly ball, singing roly bowly ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely, 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 lovely bunch of coconuts. So we are heading to the uh, Facebook page of Jeremy Nelson, the husband of Miranda Nelson, also both of them of the fire and glory outpouring out there in San Diego. And, uh, well, let's just say that you might want to be sitting down for what it is that you're about to hear. Apparently, God really wants to um, enhance your um, spiritual sense of smell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, you smell that? Yeah, that's sulfur. Mm -hmm. Let's let's get to it. Here we go. Hey, guys, how are you? Jeremy Nelson here. Tonight's episode is going to be activating your five spiritual senses, and this is going to be... Five. You you need to activate them, too. Apparently, you got five spiritual senses that need activation. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any biblical text that says this. On the sense of smell. And I love it because the Bible says that our worship to God is like a sweet-smelling fragrance or aroma that comes before his throne. And so listen in yeah. and learn more. Yeah, actually, the psalmist says, let, let our prayers rise before you as incense, the lifting up of our hands as the evening sacrifice. Yeah, that's not teaching anything about us having a spiritual sense of smell. Kind of poetic language. You ever heard of simile and metaphor? Yeah, yeah, poetry kind of engages in those types of pictures often. Or about the sense of smell. How you guys doing? Jeremy Nelson here. I'm excited that you're taking our Activating Your Spiritual Senses course. And I'm telling you, you're going to love it. I wonder how much you charge for that. The school. In the school, you're going to learn uh, how to hear the voice of God and all the different ways that he's... I hear God's voice every single day when I open up my Bible. Literally. ...created you through taste, touch, sight, smell, sound. Um, you know, just like you're creating the natural with five natural senses, you've also been created to hear the voice of God with your spiritual senses. And so the goal of this school is to... Re- yeah, where in Scripture does it talk about our spiritual senses again? Yeah, nothing's coming to mind. They just take you into a deeper 
intimacy and revelation of the Holy Spirit, as well as to identify uh, specifically the way that God has wired you to hear his voice, the way that um, he speaks to you specifically, which senses um, you're heightened to. And I just really believe you're going to enjoy learning more about both yourself and also the Holy Spirit in you. And so, yeah, I can't wait to learn more about myself. (laughs) Did you hear me rolling my eyes there? Yeah. Hang on. Listen again. Yeah, see, I was totally rolling my eyes there. Yeah, you need to activate your spiritual sense of hearing if you weren't able to hear. I'll do it again one more time. Listen, you see, if you were, yeah, did you activate your spiritual hearing so you can hear that? Anyway, just enjoy, relax, and and I know you're going to love it. What I want to do is I want to talk about, um, you know, activating your spiritual senses. And, uh, you know, this is a message that I received uh, several years ago, I was actually in Scotland and received it in Scotland. Really? <laughs> Freedom. Me and my wife were doing some ministry there. And um, every year we go to the UK and we've been going for the last seven, eight years. And it's one of our favorite places to go. But when we went um, to the UK a few years ago in Scotland, I remember I was struggling with jet lag. Now, if any of you ever travel, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you go from like time zone to time zone and it's just crazy because um you know, sometimes you have a hard time adjusting. And so I'm not the best sleeper, but my wife's got like the gift of sleep. So, you know, like she'll fall asleep anywhere, like, you know, on a plane, boat, rig shot, like does not matter. And I'm like, it takes me a while every time I go places. And so anyway, one of the nights when we were uh, in Scotland, it was really late, probably the third, actually the third night we were there. I still hadn't slept much. And it was really late, like four in the morning and I couldn't sleep. And so I just decided, you know what, if I can't sleep, I'm going to pray. So I put my headphones on. And um, I started to worship the Lord. And as I started to worship the Lord, it was the craziest thing because the, the entire atmosphere of the room just, like, shifted. And, I mean... So atmospheric shifting took place, which proves that whatever doctrines we're going to be hearing spewed from Jeremy Nelson, they come directly from the top, right from God himself. It was it was really an interesting uh, moment because it was like the whole room just shifted. And then all of a sudden I, I opened my eyes. And over on my left side was Jesus, and he was standing there. And when, when I tell you Jesus was there, it wasn't like a vision for me. It wasn't like something that um, was in my mind's eye. I mean, Jesus was like physically standing right there in front. So Jeremy Nelson, eyewitness to the resurrection now. And, uh, you know, he, well, like the Apostle Paul, you know, he, he, has ha- he has physically seen post-resurrection Jesus. Uh-huh. And it was the first time that I'd ever had like a face-to-face encounter with God. And, and so anyway, I'm standing right there. Jesus walks right up to me now. It was interesting. He was wearing um, like a white robe, and he had a blue sash around his neck. And, and, um, and, and so he walks right up to the bed. He, he was wearing a sash like a scarf? And he pulls the sash back like this. And when he does, I see his heart. And his heart is, is burning with fire. And, and I see the fire in his heart. And it was amazing because... Um, you know, I, I was just totally undone by this visitation. And he is that like the sacred burning heart of Jesus that the Roman Catholics uh, depict in their artwork? He lays his hands on me and he starts to pray. And when he starts to pray, it's like every fiber of my being gets awakened to the glory of God. I mean, it was like I was literally buzzing like in the bed, like you know. And now that Jesus has been resurrected, glorified, sits at the right hand of the Father, is enthroned in heaven above. Does Jesus still pray? This is weird. And and it was like every part of who I was or who I'm created to be was awakened to the uh, the reality of the Holy Spirit. And and then after he prayed for me, it was like 
that. And he just disappeared. And I was left there like in the presence and, and God began to speak to me after that. And it birthed this message I'm going to share with you guys tonight. And, um, and so God, so he saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus prayed with him, which sounds a little weird. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, this message was birthed after that. And all the while they're in Scotland. Yeah. Okay. You no, know, the reason why I love teaching on this and the reason why we're doing a school on this is because, um, you know, I, I believe that, that intimacy with the Holy Spirit is one of the most important, um, aspects of knowing God that we can receive. Uh, from the Father. And, and, and so when I, when I had this encounter after prayer, the Lord began to speak to me and he said this to me. He said, Jeremy, I want you to tell my people that, it, that it's my will to activate their spiritual senses and that I want to... So God told you specifically that it's his will to activate the spiritual senses, yet you're the first person in all of Christian history who has received this message. It's not in the Bible like at all, you know, spiritual sense activation. It's not there. But God wills for us all to know this. Okay. Cause them to be fully awakened to the realm of the Holy Ghost. And, and, he, and he told me, he said, I want what people know about me up here in their heads to begin to flow down here in their hearts. And, um, and, and so as I had this encounter, I said to the Lord, I said, okay, that's amazing, God, but where is this at in the Word? And the reason why... I feel that's important. Is because yeah, where is this at in the word, the, the five spiritual senses? Because I believe that even as, um, as you begin to grow in the supernatural and in the spirit and you begin to have encounters, the way that we know that it's genuinely from heaven is two ways. Is, um, one, it lines up with the word of God. And number two, it bears fruit. And, and so we always want to have that as a principle. It's, it, so it has to line up with the word of God and then bear fruit. That's how you know these direct revelations are, are actually from God. Okay, if it lines up with the Word, that means it's taught in the Word. And if it's taught in the Word, why do I need your direct revelation? You know, it's just kind of a logical question here. When God visits us, it it lines up with the Word. And number two, there's some sort of a fruit that's produced or manifests from heaven in our lives. And and so... um. Yeah, this is rotten fruit that we're listening to here. So anyway, I said, Lord, where's this at in the Word? And he told me, Hebrews 5.14. So I turned there. Hebrews 5.14. Now, before he gets there, let's take a look at Hebrews 5.14. And we're going to apply our three sound rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, context. Now, um, I fear that what uh, Jeremy is doing here is uh, he got on his word you know, on his Bible app and looked for the word senses or something like that and found a, pl- a word, you know, found it somehow it, it lined up with a verse taken out of context. So he wants us to look at Hebrews 5, you know, f- okay, um, 14 or 15, somewhere in there. It's 14. And uh, let's see what it says in the ESV. We're going to start at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience to what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again 
the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Notice here that somebody who is unskilled in the word of God, the word of righteousness, is a child in the faith, right? But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hmm. Now you're going to sit there and go, well, I didn't see the word senses in there. Yeah, neither did I. Um, and that's kind of the issue here. So something something nefarious is afoot. And um, let me check another translation. We'll check the NIV 84, the one I grew up on in high school. Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Okay, let's check the NASB. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So there the NASB uses the word senses, but, yeah, this is, yeah. So you'll note here, by the, the ESV, the NIV 84, neither of them mention anything about senses, but talking about maturity, uh, those who are using the powers of discernment and are trained by practice are able to distinguish good from evil. And uh, here it's not talking about spiritual senses, like a spiritual sense of smell or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, we can already see how Jeremy Nelson is going to twist this, but let, let's listen in. And when I turned there in my Bible, I, I, I began to read it, and it was amazing because it says this. It says that solid food belongs to those who have a mature age, who by reason of use have exercised their spiritual senses to discern good from evil. No, see, it doesn't say spiritual senses. He added the word. By the way, he's reading from the New King James Version here. And let's read it from the from the New King James Version. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm-hmm. He added the word spiritual senses, uh, spiritual to senses, and it's not there. Nope. It's not there in the Greek. It's not there in any of the other translations. He's literally added to the Word of God. So notice he said that in order for something, a revelation to be true, it must it must line up with Scripture. He literally added a word to Scripture and is not rightly handling Hebrews 5.14. Let's see what he does then. And, um, and, and so I was pretty excited when I, when I read that, and I said, there it is, spiritual senses, right there in the Bible, you know. And, um, and, and Yeah, it doesn't say that. I began to ask the Lord, I said, God, what's, what is the deal with spiritual senses, you know, because for the most part, the only time I'd ever heard that scripture read or, or mentioned, people would talk about, you know, um, the, the gift of discernment. And a lot of times it was interesting because, um, you know, they would talk about discerning good from evil, and it was uh, what's interesting about that is so often people are... Yeah, that's what the text is actually talking about. ...all about the deliverance side of things, and, you know, uh, they would talk about, you know, we can discern the demonic, but I, I, want you, I want to just say this. Yeah, it's not about that. ...is that there's an even more powerful side of discernment, and that's to know the Lord. And, and I, I want to say this, that God wants to give you discernment. He wants to unlock the realm of the Spirit to you tonight. He, he does. He, he wants to unlock the realm of the Spirit to me tonight. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, why doesn't he get to it then? Let's check back with Miranda, his wife. Hang on. It's the new season in the Jewish calendar. Um, and, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, we can disregard that, you know, whatever. But no, actually, like when we honor, you know, we don't we don't idolize or whatever, you know, just festivals or feasts or whatever. But Yeah, whatever. You know, we just like whatever, you know. <laughs> Don't make me snap my finger fingers in the Z formation. Yeah. We honor what God does in the word and, you know, the times and seasons, which is why we have the times and seasons conference. Yeah. When we honor it, God pours out refreshing and he pours out. Yeah, so you got to honor it in order to get the refreshing thingy. Uh, manna, right? And there's something. Right. Yeah. Lots of that running around the planet now. Yeah. At the Rosh Hashanah season, when uh, the Lord actually um, opens the ears of the prophets and he releases fresh revelation. And a lot of people, uh, prophets are not prophets. If you're revelatory, you can hear the voice of God. Amen. And, uh, and God. What are you talking about? Opens the ears of his people to hear the word of the Lord and uh, to uh, to gain understanding for the times and seasons of God. And how many know he wants. This has nothing to do with Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. To be like the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar knew the times and seasons. Amen. And uh, they understood what was to come. And how many know God's all about the times and seasons? This isn't, has nothing to do with my message. But uh, <laughs> but God's all about the times and seasons. Even Yeah, I'm sure he is. <laughs> even how when Jesus was born... Right, the the wise men, the uh, magi, they they followed um, they followed a star, and yeah, the doesn't say anything about the magi having the Issachar anointing. Shepherds, you know, they they had a revelation by the angelic host of heaven, the times and seasons of God. God makes known to His people whose eyes are open, whose ears are open to the Lord, uh, the times and seasons of God for the purpose that we can be on the same page as Him, and so that we can. Get all that he wants to pour out. and Right. we got to get on the same page so that we can get what he wants to pour. He won't pour it out, though, until we get it, apparently, or something like that. It's right. When we're not in tune with the with what God is doing, then we become like the sons of Eli, who in the midst of when God wants to release his presence and his glory, they're, they're off in their own world, living their own life of sin and ungodliness. And as a result, they're the ears of the prophets, the ears of the... Yeah, so th those sons of Eli, if only they had been more like Issachar. What on earth? Again, empty calories, really empty, you know, like... Really, this this junk food, like the worst kind. So we're closed at that time, and God had to raise up one called Samuel in order to reestablish the word of the Lord in that season. What? It doesn't say anything in Scripture about God having to raise up Samuel in order to reestablish the word of the Lord. This woman has, you're going to know, she's not actually preaching a biblical text at all. She's just throw, stringing together a bunch of Bible words and, you know, in this nonsensical thing and then behaving like she's drunk. <laughs> you know, and that, that'll, you know, that'll prove it's real. Uh -huh. Because he wants you to have encounters with him that unlock more of your understanding of his love for you. Right. So he wants me to have those encounters, but we got to activate those, you know. And, and, and so anyway, as I began to um, study this out, God began to teach me um, about, you know, activation. He began to teach me about our five senses. And, and this is what I want. So God taught you about activation. I don't think we're going to get to T.D. Jakes today, but, you know, 
Well, let's keep going. I mean, we've gone this far, you know. Say about that is just like you were created in the natural with five senses of taste, touch, sight, smell, and sound. So too did your Father in heaven create you with those different abilities to hear his voice or to experience the reality of who he is. So apparently you have five spiritual senses, all because, you know, Hebrews 5.14. Uh-huh, but Hebrews 5.14 doesn't say that. And so we're going to dive into these things tonight, and we're going to we're going to look at the different senses that um, you know God can awaken in your life, which will open up a, a reality of who He is to you. And also, we're going to look at the way that we're wired in the Lord, because I want to just say this: How many know that God is not raising up robots, right? He's not raising up, you know, uh, the model is not like a cookie cutter Christianity where everybody's the same and speaks the same language and moves in the same gifts of the Spirit. God has created us to be unique. He's created us to be, um, you know, different expressions of Christ. I mean, some are ahead, some would be, a, or some would be like a finger, a foot, you know, an eye, um, and, you know, whatever. We're all different parts of the body, but of the same body. And how many know it? How many know that for too long it's been like everybody wants to be one specific part of the body and we don't get anything done? Yeah, you mean like in the charismatic movement where they where everybody supposedly speak in, speaks in tongues, yet Scripture says that not everybody has the gift of tongues. You mean like that? See, God wants to bring value. He wants to bring value to who you are. And, uh, and, and He wants you to begin to discover more about that. And if you can discover... Um, how you're wired in Christ, then you can begin to develop those strengths to, uh, to number one, know God more, but also to reach people around you. Amen? And Why would I say amen to that? I really don't even know what you're talking about. Right. But God wants us, especially in the new covenant, uh, where the veil was torn in the temple to all hear the voice of the Lord. And yeah, don't you think if God wants us to hear his voice, I mean, God being God, that if he were to talk to us, we would hear him whether we wanted to or not, whether we have been activated or not. I mean, don't you think that being an all-power, almighty, omniscient God, that, you know, when he speaks, whomever he is speaking to will hear him? Uh-huh. Just saying. Otherwise, I mean, you know, God's up there in heaven going, Hello, can you hear me? Oh, I really don't like it when people don't hear me. I don't know how to make them hear me. I'm... What's the point of being all powerful when I can't? When nobody hears me. Yeah, you see that there's a problem there. And know what's going on in the times and seasons. How many know with everything that's going on in the earth right now? With so much crazy, crazy stuff, we need to know what's God. Crazy, crazy stuff says the crazy, crazy woman with the microphone. Wow. In it all, right? Because God didn't intend for, God doesn't, doesn't make destruction happen. God is not a God of destruction. God is a God of hope. He's a God of glory. He's a God of love. And He's a God of restoration, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes the Bible says that the earth will cry out for the revealing of the sons of God. And there will be, you know, earthquakes and rumors of war and war and all these things, uh, you know, and it's not God that does it, but it's the groanings for the revealing of the sons of God and it's the it's the groanings for the revealing of Jesus but how many of the God wants us to step up in this season in order to bring restoration so God needs you to step up so that he can bring restoration yeah no text says that either boy these people are weird I mean I mean they they use Bible words but they they don't actually teach what scripture says so I'm, I'm gonna start off tonight by um, 
talking about the sense of smell. We're going to go through these, and uh, I want to talk about the sense of smell. That's an interesting sense because it's not something that is commonly taught all the time in church, and um, it's not something that- commonly taught. Of all my years as a Christian, I have never heard anyone t- teach on the spiritual sense of smell. And there's a real simple reason for that. It's not in Scripture. Like if you were to go and find the uh, you know the sermon archives of Martin Lloyd Jones, right? Um, do you think you'll find a sermon on the, on spiritual sense of smell in the sermon archives of Martin Lloyd Jones? No, you won't, because it's not in the Bible. Uh, you know, you you see often. In fact, I've never been to a, a church service. I've never been to a class or school or been in worship and seen someone go. Where is he? Oh, there he is. You know, like he's right here. I can smell him, right? Like I've never I've never seen that happen. But I want you to understand something. The the word of God tells us that our worship, when it comes before the throne of the Father, is like a sweet smelling aroma or a fragrance. That, uh, that refreshes his heart, and, and there are times... Yeah, it's talking about, again, that's you know poetic language, and God is the one who smells the aroma, not us. Um, you know, I've been in itinerant ministry now for around 10 years, and my wife and I, we've been to around 50 nations, and, and we've seen so much stuff as the move of the Holy Spirit happens, and um, I, I've been in meetings where the fragrance of God comes into a meeting supernaturally, and and um, and people begin to be overwhelmed by the fragrance of God. In fact, has anybody ever smelt something like that? If that's you, put your hand up real high for me. See, look around this room. And one of the things that you're going to discover um, when we begin to uh, talk about these things in this school is you're going to begin to discover um, that you're more you're more supernatural than you give yourself credit for. Right. Yeah. If, if only I would give myself more credit, I would realize just how supernatural I am. Right. Boy, I, th- I think you're starting to uh, <laughs> see the problem here, and uh, that is that uh, these are these are empty calories. These are empty words. This is just empty to see. This, this none of this stuff is actually taught in God's word. Strange. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to learn how to use our words to win like a pro. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. 
Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Number two, fighting for the faith. It, it's like people aren't even trying anymore. You know, in order to actually, uh, you know, preach the word, it requires you to actually, you know, read and exegete and work through passages in the word. Yeah, strange how that works that way, you know. Let's do this right, though. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via South Bay Church. Andy Wood presiding. Uh, The name of the message is from the Win Within Sermon Series. The name of the sermon is Speak Like a Pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, with a name like that, and name like that for a sermon series, there's like no way. I mean this. No way what we're going to hear is biblical. I'm sure he'll try to baptize this in a biblical text and make it look like, oh yeah, this is what the Bible teaches. (laughs) Speak like a pro. Yeah, but that's not at all what the Bible teaches at all. This is going to be empty deceit. You're going to hear a lot of words. Zero biblical caloric Uh, value to them. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Andy Wood. And 
When within, speak like a pro. Here we go. Hey, church. So good to see you today. You have picked a great day to be in church. We're glad you're with us. Welcome those of you who are joining us online, our Sunnyvale North San Jose campus. We are one campus, multiple locations spread across Silicon Valley, and God is doing a great work in our midst. We've been having fun the last couple of weeks looking at how do we succeed more in life and how God has designed you to win. He wants you to what? I mean, what are you nonsense are you filling these people's heads with? How to succeed more in life. What? How is that a biblical teaching? He's put inside of you gifts and talents and passion so that your life can contribute and make a difference in society. And that desire that is there, it's not there by mistake. But what happens oftentimes in our desire to succeed is that we put our attention or our energy in all the wrong places. So we try. Right. Like, you know, an attractional church like South Bay Church in their desire to succeed numerically. They put all their thoughts and energies into the wrong places, scratching, itching ears. I mean, granted, they're able to attract a large crowd across multiple sites and camp I, but they're not actually making disciples by teaching the word emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know what I mean? win on the outside, but we don't really win on the inside. But last week we discovered how when you focus on the inside, the outside changes. So we're learning through this series to win within. Last week we talked about Joshua from the Old Testament of the Bible, how he had to get over his past and face forward into the future. And today we're going to continue that journey. But before we jump into Joshua's story, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. How many of you guys have one of these things right here just out of curiosity? It's a GoPro. GoPro, raise your hand up just out of curiosity. And he's put it on its on his head. He now has a GoPro on his forehead. People are wearing. Maybe it's the mark of the beast. I'm not sure. GoPros everywhere these days. You see them on athletes. You see them on people who are riding motorcycles. I was asking my brother who drives a motorcycle, like, why do you wear that? And he's like, well, you can tell where you're doing well and where you're doing bad. And I'm kind of like, well, if you're doing bad, that's over. I mean, so it doesn't really matter. But people wear it in athletics. People are wear it when they're snowboarding, when they're skiing. So I thought it'd be fun today just to preach in a GoPro. So I can maybe later on today, I just have a glimpse of what everybody in this service looked like. That'd be a lot of fun. If you, if you wear a GoPro, though, when you're playing sports, it'll tell you where you're doing well and where you're not doing so well. So I thought it would be fun if we could give everybody at South Bay Church a GoPro. That'd be awesome. But I'm not Oprah, so I won't be doing that. But if I could, imagine, imagine with me just a minute. If I could give you a GoPro and you could put it on and you could go through every scenario that you've had in the past week. And we took all of your conversations and every time you stepped into the boardroom for a meeting and every time you talked after you put your kids to bed and what you said about your spouse to your coworker. If you could put it all together and we could create a video. Now, for those of us who are extroverts, our video would be a lot longer to watch than the introverts. But if we could make a video, my question for you today, this is the GoPro test. Would your words tell me that you are winning in life? If we what would my what define winning? What are you talking about? Put it all together and make a video of your life from the last week. Would your words say that you're succeeding after you put your kids to bed? Oh, I just love these kids. I'm just so grateful that I get to be their parent. Oh, my spouse 
She's amazing. She's just the best wife in the world. Oh, my boss. I mean, I can't believe I get to work for her. She's unbelievable. My pastor, the messages that he gives every Sunday are just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, your messages are definitely unbelievable. I wouldn't believe them for a minute. Uh-huh. I just wonder what your words would say. Now, here's my conclusion on the front. I'm going to give it to you. Your language, if you could observe it, will tell you where you're losing. If you want to know where you're losing. My language will tell me where I'm losing. What biblical text teaches this? In your life, just simply look at your language. And a lot of us, our language actually gives us away. So I've wrote down some phrases that we often say. Just listen to these. At the end of them, we'll, we'll have a moment confession of honesty and just all raise our hands if we're actually doing these things or saying these things. Just listen to the phrases. First one is, this is too hard. It's just difficult. I'm tired. Anybody ever say that? I, I paid attention this week. I had like 15 people tell me they're too tired when I asked them how they're doing. I'm like, I, I, I didn't need to know that much. I just want to know how, you know, like how you're, I'm tired. Um, actually, I really do care. I do. Um, so I don't have enough time. I don't have what it takes. I can't do this anymore. I'm horrible at this. I'm a failure. I'm not, I'm, I just will never measure up. If you said any of those things to yourself this week. Did you attend Joel Osteen's seminary? Just raise your hand up high. Just just raise it high. Just look around. Rest of y'all are lying. Um, so, but but our language gives us away. Our language shows where we're losing in life. Now, if you flip this, if you look at your words, your words will tell you where you're winning. It's amazing how if you get into a locker room with a winning team, there's different language that is used. If you get into the boardroom with a winning organization, the way that people speak, their words are different. When you're winning, you can see it in the way that you're speaking. And so we're looking today at the difference between losing language and winning language. Uh-huh. Which biblical text are you exegeting again? Notice he hasn't started with a biblical text at all. Winning words. And my conclusion is that if you want to start winning, you have to change your words. If you want to start winning in any area of your life more, you have to start changing the way that you speak. And today we're going to look at how to change our language. Sounds like witchcraft to me. If you're ready for me to take the GoPro off, raise your hand. Just go ahead. Yep. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, today we're going to continue our journey looking at the life of Joshua. And if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And I want us to really drill into this principle of the fact that you really can change your life by changing your words. And I don't know if a lot of us really believe that because there's a lot of people who are scientific and data-driven here in Silicon Valley and you're probably saying to yourself at this point, it's really not that simple. But what I want to say to you today is that it actually is that simple. There was a researcher by the name of Gottman who looked at all these marriages and he did this longitudinal studies of people whose marriages would win and succeed over the long haul and people who would quit on their marriage. And he was able within 15 minutes to pinpoint whether or not the marriage would work. And he brought it back to this principle that people whose marriages worked, actually the primary difference in a short slice of watching them interact with each other was the difference in the way that they spoke to each other. 
See, the marriages that worked had a ratio of five to one positive to negative, and the marriages that didn't work had a ratio of 0.8 to one. So all you got to do to save your marriage is change your, your ratio, apparently, yeah. Positive to negative. So the difference of your words is shaping your life. You can change your life simply by changing the way that you speak. And in Joshua chapter one, if you're there already, we're going to go into the locker room with Joshua. This conversation we looked at. Joshua chapter one is an example of positive locker room talk. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Last week it's between God and Joshua. And he's at a very pivotal point. He's a historical figure in the nation of Israel. This historical figure, Joshua, is assuming the mantle of leadership. So the baton's been passed. Moses has led the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. They've wandered around waiting to go to this promised land. We're looking about 2100 BC. And Joshua is taking the people of God into the promised land, a place that was promised to Abraham like 1400 years ago. So now at this moment, there's a lot that is happening internally for Joshua. He's leading people who've never fought before. They're supposed to fight to inherit the land. And he's supposed to be a leader with a tremendous amount of boldness and confidence. And God is trying to position him so that Joshua sees himself and what's in front of him through the proper lens. And God has already spoken to Joshua last week we looked. And he said, Moses is dead. Let go of Moses. Move. Now, if you try to be Moses, you're not going to be Joshua. And so now, if you try to be Moses, you're not going to be Joshua. How are you finding this in Scripture? This is weird. God is going to speak a few more things to him. In verse 6, we're going to pick it up, and it starts beginning. It begins by this God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to give to their forefathers. Now, it's interesting because in this passage of Scripture, these few verses, we're going to notice God say to Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. He's going to repeat it. And a part of it is because most of the time for us, being able to succeed in our lives is not a matter of new information. It's a matter of actually doing the things that we already know. And sometimes we need to be reminded of the things that we already know to do the things that we know that we need to do. Okay, so notice we're taking a historical narrative a descriptive text and turning it into a prescription. Well, let's uh, let's apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, context. See if we can figure out what's going on in this passage by paying attention to the context. Now, granted, I mean, Moses has died. So here's what it says. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses... Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So this is the commissioning of Joshua. Joshua is being commissioned by God to take the children of Israel over the Jordan into the promised land. You're thinking, man, in type and shadow, boy, is that strong there, right? Because it's not the law, the Torah, that brings us into the promised land. It's the, well, it's Jesus. And by the way, Joshua, he has the exact same name that Jesus had. Jesus is Yeshua. Joshua, Yeshua. There's something going on here in that in type and shadow, right? Okay. 
So the Lord is the one who's going to give the people of Israel the promised land. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Hmm. Okay. That sounds kind of like Jesus' words. You know, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that I have commanded. Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Uh-huh. Yeah, you see, so you notice here that this is calling for faith, for Joshua to believe the words of Yahweh, to trust the word of the Lord. God is making promises to him. He's going to do these things. He's going to give them the land. He's going to never leave them or forsake them. So he says, so be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So interesting that he um, <clears throat> Andy Wood didn't pick up any of the earlier stuff in this sermon and remind them that uh, the, the Lord has promised Joshua he will not leave him or forsake him. And uh, you know, the be strong and courageous, this is calling for faith, trust in God. Trust that what the Lord is telling Joshua is true. Uh-huh. So be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being being careful to do according to all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And that's talking about the Torah, talking about the Mosaic Covenant, right? This book of the Torah shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? So be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. So that's the opening paragraph of Joshua chapter 1, and you're going to note all the things that God is promising to do for the children of Israel and for Joshua himself. This is calling for faith, and to be strong and courageous is because, hey, God says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. Yeah, so this isn't, and by the way, did you notice how many words Joshua spoke in that opening paragraph? Zero. Yeah, God didn't say, now Joshua, repeat after me. I am strong. I am courageous. I am going to take the promised land. No, 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 not at all. So God was doing all the talking. In other words, God was the one speaking like a pro. You just wanted to point that out because uh, whatever Andy Wood is doing here, telling us we need to learn how to speak like a pro, Joshua didn't say anything in that opening paragraph. So God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, and he repeats it multiple times. And he makes a statement to Joshua. He says, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. There was a cause and effect relationship between Joshua's choices, between his words, between his actions. And he's trying to help Joshua. Uh, no, the cause and effect relationship is between the promises God said. 
and was giving to Joshua. God is the only one speaking here. God is the only one making the promises. Understand that you can be the pivotal difference that will result in this entire nation inheriting the promise that I have for them. Uh, no, that's not a accurate paraphrase of God's words given to uh, Joshua at his commissioning. Now, you may not ever lead a nation into battle. Let's hope you don't ever have to do that. But you do have a cause and effect relationship in your life with a lot of the decisions that you're making on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of what happens for us, part of the reason that we don't succeed the way that God wants us to is that we fail to connect the dots on how much our choices are actually making a difference. And I try to get my kids to see this. Last night at the dinner table, this is what happens in a pastor's house on Saturday night. And one of my kids got frustrated about something and started growling at the other child. So we're doing a great job succeeding as parents training our children with proper communication skills. I promise they have never observed this technique between Stacy and I. But one starts growling at the other one, so guess what the other one does? Starts hissing and growling back, three feet apart from one another. One moves closer. You'd enjoy it more if, like, they were the same age. No, actually, there's, like, five or six years difference between them, okay? So one growls, the other growls, one hisses, the other hisses. They're apart. They get closer. So then one who's older than the younger just decides that it'd be okay just to go, bam, like that, headbutt on the other child's face. That was my night last night. And um, there's a cause and effect relationship between the choices. I'm trying to help my kids understand that. And God is trying to help Joshua understand that. And God wants to help us understand that. Sometimes we fail to connect the dots. The choices that you are making every single week are affecting other people around you. Right, yeah. So apparently that's what uh, is going on there in uh, Joshua chapter 1. Not at all. So you'll note, um, Andy here is... um, well, he's uh, filling their heads with empty doctrinal calories. This is just junk food because he's not exegeting the text. He's not pointing to the promises that God is making. And not only that, he's confusing promises with commandments and turning this descriptive text into a prescription. See, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. But I'm not leading the people of Israel into the promised land, and nor will I ever. <laughs> That's not the gist of this. That's why I'm so grateful for our people who serve on our dream team here at South Bay. That's why I'm so grateful for the people that stand at the door and in the parking lot and wave and welcome us as we drive onto campus and give us cups of coffee so that we can stay awake during boring messages. And, and, and they, they, they give love to us. I had somebody say to me in the lobby, no joke, she said, I don't know what you're giving these people, but there's something here that I almost feel like when I'm here for an hour, it's heaven on earth. And that's because there's about 30 to 40 people that they smile and they hug. Sometimes we say to our our volunteers, you might be the only hug a person gets all week long. So they might not act like... Oh, yeah, you might be the only hug. Yeah, that's just so sentimentally cool and stuff. Oh, I'm getting a warm fuzzy. Oh, yeah, it has nothing to do with the text, though want it, give it to them. But don't hang on for 12 seconds. 
Just, uh, especially if they're the opposite gender. This is not time to find a spouse. Just give them a quick hug and get out. And, and, and show that love. There's a, there's a power in that, that you can, you can change somebody's posture by the way you love them. That's why I'm so grateful for our family ministry volunteers that serve and invest in the next generation, that there are men and women who sit on the floor every single week with eight and 10 year old boys and girls, and they read them stories about Jesus and they give them high fives when they walk in. And one day there's going to be a 45 year old man who stands and talks about the difference that his Bay kids worker made in his life because he invested in the next generation. There's, there's an echoing effect of your why are you clapping? This has absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing whatsoever to do with Joshua chapter one. Life. Joshua, you need to understand you can cause these people to go into the promised land. But you've you got to understand it, but you got to use your you got to say pro words like a pro man have to be strong. You have to be courageous. I read a great book called The Failure of Nerve, and it's kind of a, a leader's geek, geeky kind of book. And you probably don't need to read the whole book. I'll give you three minutes synopsis, not even 45 second synopsis. Yeah. 45 second synopsis of a book that's not in the Bible. So the author, and I doubt it'll help us understand Joshua chapter one says that when they studied systemic failure of any nature, you can see this in businesses. You can see it in marriages. You can see it in churches. You can even see it in the human body with the molecular structure of the difference between cancer cells and healthy cells. That what happened whenever there was failure systemically, there was a failure of nerve. And the problem for most businesses and most marriages and the problem for most churches is not that we don't know the right thing to do. It's that we don't have the courage to do the right thing. Is that at the end of the day, we try to get more information, more knowledge. We try to get Greek and Hebrew and all these things. But at the end of the day, we, the, the problem is that we haven't done the things that we already know that we're supposed to do. So be strong and courageous. Right, as if that's one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> so bad. Now watch what God says next. This is interesting. Yeah, I'm sure it is, but what you're going to do with it won't be. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. It's like, come on, God. You told me this already. Then God continues and he says, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded to you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you might have good success wherever you go. Now, I want to camp on this just for a quick second. So, in- yeah, grab your sleeping bag in a, you know, in your tent. The Bible in the Old Testament, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I might have got them out of order, but you get the point. The first five books of the Bible. There are close to 600 laws in the Bible. The Israelites, many of them memorized it, and they spent their entire lives trying to carry out the 600 laws. How many of you are grateful that we don't have 600 laws that we need to every day? So So how many do you have exactly? Jesus came, and he fulfilled the law. Yes, this is true. On a cross... He was crucified. The grave could not hold his body. We believe that our faith is based upon an event that happened, which was that he conquered the grave, that there was a group. Yes, kind of. Okay, so he's trying to do some apologetics in here. Followers of Jesus that when he was crucified all ran away because they were afraid. Something happened. All of them that ran away in that moment later on would 
be crucified themselves and murdered and martyred for their faith in Jesus, something happened. An event happened. Now, notice here, he hasn't actually preached the gospel. He has not proclaimed to them the good news that Christ, he has bled and died for their sins and called them to repent of their sins and to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and to boldly proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins, even in the face of uh, opposition from the world, from people in the church. Yeah, we get a lot of that today. And uh, and even their own sinful flesh. He hasn't done that. Let's see if he does. But, I mean, you kind of get the idea. So he's bringing up the cross as an example of something. And that was the resurrection. So now Jesus said to his disciples, he said, a new command I give to you. Not all these 600 laws. I fulfilled them. So your faith in Jesus and what he's done on a cross is what makes you right before God. It's not keeping a bunch of laws. But Yeah, this is true. Now you're compelled, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So actually, this one's a little bit harder than all these other laws. So now you're going to be compelled by love, and you're going to live out of what I've already done for you. So what I want you to see is that principally, this is still true. <laughs> okay, so he's trying to make, and I'll, I'll give him you know, props, at least half a point. Here, you know, he's trying to make a distinction between the Mosaic Covenant uh-huh, and the New Covenant, which I think is an important distinction to make. Let's just say he hasn't exactly done it very well, but hey, I got to give him credit because he's at least trying very well to try to get that right, but he's not getting it well in, in the sense of achieving it successfully. We don't have 600 laws to obey. But there is a way of life that God has set out for us. And God's way of life for you is not to punish you. God is for you and not against you. He wants to bless you. He has good things in store for you. So contrary to what the Israelites believed, they believed that God's promise was about a physical destination, a place, a land. But in reality, God's promise was ultimately not about a place. It was about a person. His name is Jesus so all of the promises of God would be fulfilled in Jesus. And now the destination was never really about getting Israel to be this great nation that looked down on everybody else. God's blessing on Israel was so that he could bless every other nation. So God wanted to bless the people to bless people. So if he could bless one nation, he could bless the whole world. That's why when I look around at our church and I'm sitting, what? I, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sitting here slack jawed. He understands that there's type and shadow in the Old Testament. Good. Um, what do you think about the type and shadow here of Joshua taking Israel across the Jordan into the promised land? And then maybe like cross-references that with Hebrews 11, which basically says it was it's not about a physical piece of territory in this earth, but about the coming promised land, an eternal one. But anyway, uh, what do I know? service and I see all these people from Asia and Africa and South America, my heart just wants to rejoice because that was God's plan from the beginning. It was he could get us all together. He could bless us and bless the world. So there's a beauty in this that God is trying to bless a people and he's saying to Joshua, if you follow my ways, it blesses everybody else. 
and I'm trying to get my blessing to you so I can get it through you. And if you'll walk according to my ways, it will go well. So his destination for you and his promise for you is not physical. It's spiritual. Now, there is physical realities to it, but it's ultimately about hope and joy and peace and fulfillment and purpose that you would live your life with God. So God wants to bless you with purpose. But, you know, you got to love one another. You know, yeah, that's good law keeping. And in presence and favor upon you, that's where I'm taking you. If you'll follow in it, you'll be blessed as a result of it. And he's saying it to Joshua. I want to get your mindset right so that you can lead these people. You can cause an entire nation to go in. But God is going to do something very distinct here. Because he's repeating something that he's already said to Joshua through Moses. If you go back to Deuteronomy, this conversation has already happened. Now, it's funny to me when we read the Bible, sometimes, not everybody does this, but sometimes we insert ourselves into the stories of the Bible like David and Goliath. Like David beat Goliath and you can lose five pounds too. (laughs) And it's good, you know, because we have our giants that we face as well and There's a sense from principally that that's great to read the Bible and be inspired and encouraged. But I think what can happen is that we can deduce oftentimes our story to their story and we fail to receive or experience the magnitude of what that person felt in that moment. So notice he's uh, feeling guilt pangs regarding the the standard practice in the so-called attractional churches of engaging in what we call narcissism. That's narcissistic eisegesis, reading yourself into all of the Old Testament stories where you become the hero. This is the this is the favorite Bible twisting technique of Stephen Furtick. Okay, so he's he's here noticing there there might be something wrong with that. Yeah, and there is. Joshua is about to lead an entire nation of people who've never fought in battle into a land to inherit it with a promise that was hundreds and hundreds of years old, and he needed to be reminded of this. He needed God to not only remind him, but to do what he's going to do now. So God takes something that he's already... Yeah, again, did you notice when you read the text, God is the one making all the promises to Joshua. He's going to do the fighting, you know, that kind of stuff. God is. Given Joshua a vision on, and he's going to double click on it, and he's going to say, okay, this is the vision, this is where we're going, this is why we're doing it, but here's how you do it. See, one of the things I love about God is he's, he's spiritual, yes, but he's also very... So Joshua 1 is a vision casting text? N- no. Practical. So how many of you guys want to actually know how to win with your words? Just out of curiosity. Okay. Like half of the service here does. Everybody else wants to. So will you give us three easy steps on how to win with our words as apparently taught in Joshua chapter one. But um, so here's how he describes it. This is how you do it, Joshua. You want to be strong. You want to be courageous. You got to want to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is your strategy and tactic for success. Listen to what he says. This book of the law, the first five books of the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth. 
but you shall meditate on it day and night. Did you notice from this how God says that it should be spoken, that you should meditate on it? And it's interesting how before you depart with your life, you will first depart with your mouth. That oftentimes what happens is before... Okay, so we want God's word in our mouths. Got it, okay. Things get out of alignment with our decisions, it starts first with our mouth. So he says, you speak it, you meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, listen, you will make your way successful or prosperous and you will have good success where you go. God is saying there's a cause and effect relationship and when you follow, you're making things happen in alignment with what I want to have happen already. But it all comes back to Joshua. If you can get this first part right, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Do it so that you'll be prosperous wherever you go. I want to break this down because I think it's so practical. You go ahead and break it down for us, dude. Yeah, because notice the emphasis is all on the things that Joshua has to do. But read the text. God is the one making all the promises. The principles in it still apply in the 21st century. So let me explain what I believe God is saying to Joshua. First of all, he's saying to Joshua is that there are words that are coming out of your mouth. You are constantly speaking words, positive and negative. Words, words, words. So it's all about the words. No, it's actually about the word, not just any old words. Thousands and thousands a day. I don't know exactly how many, but some of us are too many. But there are words, and what happens with our words is that our words, what they are doing is they are framing or shaping where we focus. So the things that you speak are... Joshua 1 is not teaching that. Remember, God's word says of itself that it's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, things like that. Uh huh. Eventually, what you'll give your attention to. The more you speak it, the more you focus on it. And it's kind of funny. It was like yesterday, I took my kids to the apple farm, and we went apple picking. It was a lot of fun. Everybody's in a good mood. For us, this is a rare occasion. Now, other families, I'm sure you're way better than us, but like we're like a 1 out of 10 ratio. We have a good family day, 1 out of 10, call it a win. But this day was great. Everybody's in a good mood. Everybody's happy to go to the apple farm. It might have something to do with the fact that I bribed them. If they were good, they get an apple pie at the end of it. But I'm not telling you that. I did told you that. Did tell you that. But you get the point. Like, it was a great day. And at the end of the day, we walked up with all these apples and we put them on a scale and we we get the apples. We go home. Stacy makes apple crisp. But I was thinking about this. You know, at the apple farm, there were all these apples all over. In fact, on the ground, there were a bunch of nasty, rotten apples. It looked like people had stepped on them. They'd been there for days. And some of it is because it's already the end of apple season and all the apples are falling on the ground. But to get the good apples, you actually have to pick for them. You're looking. You're going from tree to tree. And there was a sign that said you can graze while you do it. Everybody can have one or two while you're picking. So we we, we took liberal judgment and each had two while we're picking and you're trying you're trying to get the best ones but i was thinking what if we decided at the end like we got up there and we put our bucket on the on the the scale and all of the apples were just like nasty rotten apples like that's stupid why would you do that well they were the ones that were on the ground they were right there they were so easy to get to you would never do that at an apple farm 
You're going picking and you're getting the best apples possible. But what's amazing is that this illustration has nothing to do with Joshua chapter one. Mm -hmm. This is empty. These are empty words. Our lives, we have constant good and bad happening, yet we constantly find ourselves focusing on what's on the ground, the bad stuff. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says it like this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Yeah, out of context, and I'm just going to note, that's like the key verse of the um, <laughs> word of faith heresy. So this fellow is buying into the word of faith heresy. Yeah, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's talking about making a living from your speaking. That's what it's talking about there in Proverbs 18. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So what's happening in your life is you are framing your focus based upon the words that you're speaking. So there is death happening and life happening. There's good and bad in every single one of our lives. And what you say is determining your focus. So what happens a lot of times is that we crop out all the good stuff that God's doing and we frame it with all the bad stuff in our lives. My kids oftentimes will complain. Sunday night, we like to go to this restaurant called Aki. Anybody like Aki? It's good. And my kids hate it. I love it. Sunday night, I get to decide where we eat. Every other night, it's cool. You figure it out. But Sunday night, we're going to Aki. So we go there often. Last week, my kids, all three of them, 11-year-old, 8-year-old, and 3-year-old were all complaining on the way to Aki. There's nothing to eat. It's all bad. I'm like, there's 60 things on the menu. Can you not pick one thing? So I decided, just shut your mouth. Everybody. Sierra Liboca. Close it. Just close it. If you don't have anything positive to say, don't say it. Right? Just close your mouth. This is going to be a ride of gratitude. And we're just going to talk about all the things we're grateful for. So if you don't have anything you're grateful for, just Sierra la boca. Close it right now. So we're driving. I'm like, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that your mom is smoking hot. I am. I'm grateful for the fact that we have a minivan that works. I'm grateful for the sunshine today. I'm grateful for my kids most of the time. I'm grateful. I am grateful for the fact that God has given us a calling that we get to be a part of with South Bay. I just going on and on and on and on. And by the time we get there, the whole mood of the room or the van has changed. Simply his positive words change the atmosphere. See, that's what Joshua chapter one is teaching. Y yeah, no, it's not. The words that were spoken. It's amazing how your words frame your focus. I want you to pay attention this week to what people say to you when they ask you how you're doing. Because it's amazing. You can choose what you focus on with your words when somebody says to you what you're doing. I have a little phrase. I'll let you try it on. I had a bad day. Might have gotten a fight with a staff member. Might have gotten a fight with a kid. A spouse, it's not going the way I think it should. Life seems to be unraveling. Somebody asked me how I'm doing. I don't want to be dishonest and say, good. So what I do is I just say, I'm grateful. So ask me how I'm doing. I, I'm grateful. Let me ask you how you're doing. How you doing? I'm grateful. Try it on. Turn to your neighbor and say, so notice here now, he's, he's literally enforcing the tyranny of magic. Yeah, see, positive things will only happen if you say positive words. So you got to learn to re-kind of program how you talk. So you're having a bad day. How you doing? 
I'm grateful, <laughs> which is code talk for I'm having a bad day. But you can't say you're having a bad day because if you say you're having a bad day, ah! your negative words are going to create a negative outcome. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, you know. Oh, boy, this is a mess. Doing? How you doing? I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the Raiders. I'm grateful for the Niners. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. It's amazing how your language shapes your focus. But not only does your language change your focus, your focus ultimately will determine your direction. So your mouth and your eyes, they're, they're, they're together. Every day of your life, they've been together. Did you? None of this is taught in Joshua chapter 1. They've, they've never gone to separate houses for a sleepover. They, they are always together. What you're speaking, what you're seeing. But ultimately, it's leading to the direction. So before you actually do it, you focus on it and you start to think about it. Meditate, he says, on it day and night. The more you think about it, the more you're likely to actually do. Meditating is simply just thinking about it, getting in your heart and your mind over and over and over again. So when you speak it, you think about it. Before you do it, you've been thinking about it for a period of time. I watch myself with my kids. One of my things I'm working on is not losing my temper with my kids, just being honest. And um, oftentimes I'll notice before I yell at a kid, I will say to myself, I'm really angry right now. I'm about to lose it. I really am. And then I'll start saying it out loud. I'm about to lose it. This isn't Christian sanctification. This is just behavior modification. I'm about to... You're going to make me yell at you again. I'm about... I'm so angry with you right now. And then I will do it. And it's amazing how I've said it to myself already. I've been thinking about it. And then it translates into my actions. I bet you there are some things in your life right now that you find yourself doing and you haven't made the connection to the part of the reason why you're doing it is because you're focusing on it. So if you can shift the attention with your words to your focus, it will change the direction of your life. This all sounds so practical, doesn't it? But this isn't what the scripture teaches at all. So in any area of your life that you want to shift the direction, if you trace your way back to your focus and your words, it can begin to change the orientation of your life. Joshua, you're... This is about the word, not our words. It's about the word of God. Uh Uh-huh. And God's word does affect our focus. Indeed, it does. It's our focus on Christ, not ourselves. Teaches us to serve our neighbor, not ourselves. It changes our the whole direction, but it's the word, not our words. An entire nation of people in a direction, and your words will shift where they focus in the direction that they take. But it's not there where we stop. The direction of your life ultimately is determining the destination that you arrive at. Here's the problem. For most of us, when we want to change, where do we focus? We focus on destination. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to have a great marriage. All those are great desires. But the strategy for transformation in your life, if you only focus on destination, you'll be frustrated. 
If you only try to focus on what you're trying to change without understanding that there is a process of transformation, then you'll continue to go back to the same habits over and over and over and over and over and over again. So God says to Joshua, get it right first in your mouth, your words, shape your focus. No, that's not what God is saying. It's about the word, not his, Joshua's words. Focus leads to your direction, and your direction is determining the destination that you're at right now. Not pleased with an area of your life? Don't like it? Go back to your words. Want to change something? Go back to what you speak. So here's where I think this is important. I want to get really practical as we wrap up our time together. Because it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be inspired, and I'm going to speak Awesome words all week long. This happens to me sometimes with my kids. I'm like reading the Bible and praying in the morning. And then like two of them come fist fighting down the stairs. I'm like, well, that didn't work really well. And you're like, okay, I'm going to get excited about speaking differently at work. And then you walk in and your boss screams at you and, you know, that it's all over. So how do you actually do it on Monday? I think that there is a power in what Joshua is saying or God is saying to Joshua Take this book of the law and put it on your lips. Now, listen, there are a lot of people that come to our church that are not followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you want, you can check out right now. Okay, just just this, this ignore it. Take the rest of it, the principles. Now, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you can still try it and apply it to your life. I, I guarantee you it will work and it will change your life. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is kind of like a thing that we're supposed to do. Okay. So I want to show you what is happening from a scriptural standpoint with the Bible, with God's word. God has spoken a bunch of words to us in scripture. And in the New Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of promises and truths that can be received into our life that God has already said are my promises to you. Now, here's the thing. God's promises to you, God's presence to you is guaranteed. His promises are not. In essence, there's an if what? So God's promise. What? Oh boy. And clause with most of God's promises. So you do this, then you receive this. That's law. <laughs> it's not that you're trying to earn your salvation. It's just that God has created the universe to function in a certain way. And when so, you- in order to receive the promises, it's all conditioned on you obeying, or you do. Oh my live that way you don't experience it so what we have to do is we have to align our lips and our language with what god says so the more we speak it the more we're going to do it the more we're going to end up at the destination that god has for us so the destination is the new earth and uh (laughs) the new jerusalem so my words will get me there that's salvation by works works of my mouth apparently what I do personally, I'm going to get super, super practical with you. All right, let's do that. We'll take verses from the Bible and write them on a note card, and I will memorize them or read them and meditate on them over and over and over again, and I will deduce them down to a mindset that I can apply into my life so that this week I can do something with it. So I want you to get a problem that you're trying to solve right now. An area of your life you want to be different. I know you might have five. Pick one. Yeah, all the heretics on the planet. I want that to be different. I I don't want there to be so many heretics in the church and teachers who uh, fill people's minds with empty words like you are. 
Take one area that you want to change. And here's what I want you to get. I want you to get a phrase to fight with in that area of your life. Not against somebody else and punch. A, a phrase to fight with. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about that win within battle. Your, your internal journey. I want to challenge you to get one phrase that you can take to that situation or to that meeting or that conversation that you're going to fight with it. So watch how we do it. So I'm going to take Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. This is one of my little verses I go back to often. And it says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Wait a second. I just read CNN this morning and I'm not sure what's going to happen. And there's somebody crazy and crazy things are happening. And are we going to get blown up and what's going to happen? Are we going to blow other people up? Wait, 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 wait. Okay, let me go back one more time. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, so I can take what I'm struggling with and I can present it to God. He'll listen to me. That means he cares for me. I can have a sense of thanksgiving and gratitude because I know that he cares for me. So I can come with thanksgiving. I can present it. Now, listen, this might sound a little bit crazy to you, Okay. And when people talk to themselves, we call them crazy, right? We say it all the time. Crazy people talk to themselves. Somebody told our staff, one, one of our staff members, that they saw me walking down the road talking to myself. I know it's crazy, but I do. I do. It's just that crazy people say different things when they talk to themselves. You talk to yourself. We all talk to ourselves. So what I'm trying to do is give you an operating system that shifts your focus. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, go home, tell your friend, what your pastor said. He said to start talking to myself more. Just tell him. And I'm going to commission you today to talk to yourself more. So you're going to take a verse. Let's go to the rest of it. It says, and when you do this, the peace of God transcends all understanding. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, so I know if I bring that situation to God, he'll take care of it. I can have peace. It'll guard my heart and my mind. I want to take that and I want to get a phrase out of it that I can fight with. So that way, when the enemy wants to remind me of how out of control our world is, I can come back and fight the lie that he's feeding to me with truth from God's word. So my little phrase on this verse is every time I trust him, he cares for me. Everything I give to him, he's been faithful on. So every time I've had a situation that I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Oh, I remember that time five years ago when there was that one thing and it was unraveling, but I prayed and I trusted him. He gave me peace and he took care of it. I remember that one time when there was this thing over here and I was, you get the point that the more you meditate on it and you insert that phrase, it starts to give you a new sense of confidence and strength. So the default to your mind and to my mind, listen, the only person on the planet who's not like this is Dr. Phil, and he's a little bit crazy. So for the rest of us, we need something in there to reinsert truth, to reorient our minds around what God already says is true. So we're going to get these phrases. Let me give you one more. from. We're going to basically go into the Bible to find phrases. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, rather than finding phrases, why don't we read it for comprehension and meditate on it and really dig into it and understand it, you know, things like that. Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. Yeah, and there's a context for that as well. So what I want when I'm feeling down and when I'm feeling tired or there's something in front of me that I'm afraid of, okay, I don't know how it's going to turn out. 
I've got fear in my gut. Maybe it's a marriage that you're wondering, is she going to ever come back? Maybe it's a kid that ran away from God and you're like, are they going to return? Maybe it's a situation at work where you're not sure if you're going to lose your job. So you're, you're, you're in that place of fear and it's crippling you. So you're not leading. You're not living from a place of confidence. But you can get a verse like this that is from Scripture. Study the context. Get the context. But then put it on a note card and say, okay, God has not given me a spirit of fear. The same spirit of God that conquered the grave is on the inside of me. So that means the same power that God exerted when he brought Jesus from death to life is in me. I might feel tired, but I don't have to let my feelings dictate my approach to life. I'm going to overcome my feeling. So my phrase for this is that I might be afraid, but his power is greater than my fear. I know I'm afraid. I know Satan. I know I got fear, but I believe with confidence that his power is greater than my fear. I want to challenge you. Go to the Bible, read it, and get one phrase, one verse. Take mine if you want. Use them. Wow, just go to the Bible, grab a phrase, would you? It doesn't, yeah. Rip it out of context and just apply it any old way you want. This is no way to read or understand Scripture. And that's not what God meant about the, uh, the Torah not departing from his mouth or his tongue. Wow. And start fighting the internal battle. And what happens is when you start to realign your life around what God already says is true, there's all this power that God wants to give to you. All this strength, all this courage. The enemy's been beating you up. He's been lying to you. He's been telling you you're worthless. He's been trying to get it into your operating system. And God is saying today, I want to shift. I want to go back to your words. And I want you to start speaking truth. Any area of your life that needs to change, you start focusing on the right. What if you started doing this in your marriage? So instead of focusing on the 80 things that your spouse did wrong, focus on the one to two things that your spouse is doing right. Parents, what if we started changing the way that we actually interact with our children? Yeah, we need to train and discipline and correct, and all that is a part of parenting. But what if we found the two things our kids are doing right? And we poured value into them. And we told them the significance and importance of their life. How many 45-year-olds do you know that are still to this day licking their wounds over some words that their dad said to them when they were five years old? Your words are powerful. So I'm going to pour into the next generation. I'm going to tell my boys and my daughter how valuable they are before God. And I'm going to give them an operating system so that when the enemy comes and he starts lying and when a classmate tells them that they're worthless so that they can take the truth of God and put it in and stand with confidence and become the person that God has created them to be. I want to give you one more and then we'll wrap up. Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two. You can write this down. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, sometimes I need, we need to be reminded of the fact that we are loved by God, that we are his dear children. He's not against us. He's for us. In fact, it says as a result of this, you can live a life filled with love following the example of Christ because he loved us and he offered up himself as a sacrifice, as a pleasing aroma to God. My phrase with this is because God loves me, 
because he has so sacrificially poured out his love on me. I can pour out his love on other people. And I can learn to live a life that wherever I go, what I've already received, I can pour it out. One of the things I say to myself... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience to have them make decisions, to exercise their free will. And apparently, God the Holy Spirit wants people to exercise their free will, to use their words, to uh, speak like a pro or something like that. Before I step onto the stage to preach is I say, I'm, I'm not here to get, I'm here to give. I'm here to love. I'm here to bless. I'm here to lift people's vision. I'm here to... I, 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 I... Hope. I'm a dealer of hope. I want people to walk out with confidence. I want to pour in what you've poured into me. See, there's this beautiful reality of the depth of God's love for humanity that Scripture says that God so loved you that he stretched out his arms on a cross. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than he would lay down. So we're getting the gospel at the end of this, or at least something like it. For his friends. And he calls you friends. He laid down his life for you so that you don't have to live under a law anymore, but that you're liberated by love. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's not the gospel. Wow. Wow. Love, by the way, is the complete... Summary of the law. You see yourself in the mirror and you're broken and you're hurting and you're addicted and you're struggling and you're in bondage. You're all of that maybe, but you're loved. And the God who loves you so much paid for all that on a cross so that you can be liberated, so that you can walk in freedom, so that you can know him personally. You don't have to earn it. You can receive it today. And once you receive it... Yeah. <clears throat> Are you going to spend some time talking about their sins and their need for Jesus to die on the cross for their sins? Are you going to mention repentance at all, maybe? Eternally, you can be strengthened so that you can love the people around you. And your whole frame of reference now can shift. God wants to shift the way that you see yourself and the words that you speak over you. So, so, that it- so God wants to shift. Got it. And change your destination. And there's a beauty in all this. Because right now, in this moment, as we are here on planet Earth, simultaneously, there is a ton of activity happening in heaven. And did you know that there has never been a negative word that has been spoken since Satan was kicked out of heaven? There's always... No negative words in heaven. So you need to say only positive words. only been positive praise to the God of the universe, how worthy he is. So right now in this moment, angels surround his throne. And what they do is they call out his greatness. Worthy is the lamb talking about Jesus who was slain to receive honor and glory and power forever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And it's not that we shouldn't acknowledge the fact that things are not right in our world. There are hurricanes and there are earthquakes and there are floods And there are thousands of people that are losing their life. It's just that we're going to start to frame that through the truth of who God is so that we can act on it. Right, by saying positive words and saying things like, yeah, a bazillion people lost their homes because of the hurricanes, but I'm grateful. 
we can be a source of hope so that when there is brokenness, we can bring life and we can bring peace and we can be the solution to the world's problem because we're loved, because we've experienced that internally. So now we can start to act on it and we can start to shift our language. So in heaven, this... Pre- so the way we act on these things is by shifting our language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a form of the word of faith heresy that is constantly going for God, this constant whisper and shout of God's glory. It's the language of heaven that God wants to get into us. So your situation might be dire, but you can still praise God. You might not know exactly how it's going to turn out, but that breath that he's put in your lungs, you can use it to exalt his name. And something shifts when the praise from your lips declares the glory of God and it goes back to him his greatness his worth his value we're going to start to see it differently with the words that we speak and when we speak it it's going to change our destination stand up all of our campuses together done so you got to speak it and when you speak it you change your destination so so important yeah so from beginning to end lots and lots of words zero Biblical prophetic, I mean, biblical caloric value. Yeah, those were all spiritual Twinkies. <laughs> I, yeah, every last one of them. What a mess. And what's really sad about Andy Wood is he he keeps getting in dangerously close to actually preaching the gospel, but never actually did it. Yeah, didn't proclaim Christ and him crucified for their sins. Call them to repent of their sins, to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. Yeah, by grace through faith. Nope, he didn't do it. Uh, But he kept trying to get close to it. And then as soon as he would get like to the point where he could just reach out and touch it, he would pull back and yeah, yeah, done. So what a mess so what you think love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my mail address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash myra christian follow me on twitter my name there at myra christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ as vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen